0: Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's word.
1: Father, we thank you for the time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you you move in us and that you work in us. And Lord, especially for this subject matter, um, Jesus is the only one who had this extra chapter to his life. And Lord, as we go through and examine it and talk about the, the wondrous things that you did in showing yourself alive and real to the apostles and uh, especially to Mary that we're going to be talking about this this afternoon or this evening. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you'd have your hand on us and, and just be blessing the study of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John chapter 20, start in verse one. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know that that's John the apostle who wrote this and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And I can never go through this without talking about that. We just have to expound on that thing right there. That's competition. You have competition in the Bible. And so John is letting you know that Peter's an old guy and he, he you know, John just outran him, got to the tomb first because he's competitive. And so com- competition, competi- a competitive nature is biblical. There it is right there. You can put, even put it in the Bible. So for 2000 years, everybody who's ever read the book of John knows that John beat Peter in a race. And you know, specifically a race to the tomb. That's pretty cool. I don't, I don't know anybody in my life that's very competitive at all, except for Mitch. Mitch, Mitch is competitive about everything. It doesn't matter what it is. And so I'll, I'll say something, and he'll go, "No, that's not right." And I'll go, "Yes, it is right. Bet you a cup of coffee. He's always competing with me about something, and it's, you know it's like, if, oh, this is, he's not here. I don't see him. Is he sitting in here? He's outside? Okay, so I'm telling you all about this guy. Okay, so when we built this building, one of the things that Mitch made sure that he did was anything that was new, like like steps, like these steps right here. When these steps got built, Mitch made sure that he came in and walked up the steps before I did. Those steps over there, those steps over there too. Made sure that he walked up the steps before I did. Every toilet in this place, he made sure that he went in and he went to the bathroom in every, I don't even, you know what? He may have done the ladies' toilets too. I don't know. I don't know if he did or not. Mitch is just a so competitive guy. And every time he would do it, he'd come in and he'd say, so, did you go into the men's restroom? Did you go to the restroom in there? I go, no. He goes, I did. Okay. And so and, and it's, the same, it's the same in the admin building. When we built the admin building, one of the things that, it, that I did, there's a bathroom in there. And so put a shower in there because, because I was doing some workouts with Taekwondo and stuff like that on Wednesdays. And so I had to shower and, and that kind of stuff. And you know, we, we, guys around here need showers because they stink. Anyway, so we have a shower in there. So guess who got in the shower first? It's not his shower, it's my shower. He gets in the shower first. He goes to the the toilet first in there. And so that's the first phase of this place. And so when we did the addition on the admin building that we just did like what, a a year and a half ago or whatever. So we do the addition on the admin building. And this time off my office, I have my own restroom because we use my office for a... uh, Uh, like uh, for meetings and and stuff like that. So we don't want to go out and go all the way down the hallway. So I have my own restroom. And so Mitch comes up and guess what he does? And this time he he waited like three days or something. And he comes up and he goes, so did you go to the bathroom in your restroom? And I go, nope, not yet. He goes, it's been three days. And I go, I haven't had to go. (laughs) And so he goes, well, I did. I waited three days though this time just to give you a chance to do. This is who he is. He's a, he's he's just like a messed up unit. Anyway, he's like John the Apostle. He he wants to he wants to brag about doing things first. And so John outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Obviously, you know, this is the the first day of the week and, and the gospels are unanimous on stating that this was the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, and that it was at dawn, on a Sunday that these things occurred, that these things took place. One of the, one of the things that, that you, you need to keep in mind when you're looking at the resurrection stories is that it just comes as a total shock to the people who are involved. And so the women, when they're going to the tomb, they're going to the tomb with spices. And Mary's not the only one who went to the tomb. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. Um, she went with a number of women, and they'd gone out and bite, bought spices because they wanted to finish the burial of Jesus. And so there was a process that, that they would go through, and um, you know they would wash the body, and then they would um, do certain spices, wrap them up in, uh, wrap them up in linen. Kind of, um, you know, when you when you look at the uh, burial of Lazarus, for example, he's kind of wrapped up like a mummy. And so that's how they would wrap them, and a lot of times then over the outside they would put a burial cloth that went basically, you know, it was like a sheet that went from the back of the legs all the way over the top of the head and uh, back down to the feet. And so there was a whole process that they went through. You know, it's it's one of those things that I kind of think it's a good thing in the sense that, you know, a lot of times we are sanitized from death unless you have animals, right? We are sanitized from death. And so when somebody in our family dies, we take them down, down to the local funeral home. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do this. I think, I think that's, a, that's a really great ministry to people who are suffering from the death of a loved one. I, th- I, think it's, I think that's a good thing. But in the old days, that's not what happened. In the old days, you buried your own. And so the body gives up the ghost. Everything relaxes. There's stuff that goes on bodily and it's just, there's nothing good about it is the point that I'm making. And so you have to wash the body and you have to, then you have to, you know, after you've cleansed it, then they, they would have different preparations. And sometimes, sometimes you wrap them in linen and linen and in our culture, we put them in a coffin and dig a grave and, and that kind of stuff. Then, then they would have wakes. Sometimes they had the people um, sitting in state in their living rooms. Or in their parlors for a period of time so people could come over and see them. That kind of and so death was a was a bigger deal and it was more personal in the lives of people who lost a loved one. I think I think it's a one of the things that I think we miss from that is part of the grieving process. Because when we think about grieving, you know, we've just lost somebody and it's almost like literally they just disappear. So somebody comes and takes them away, they disappear. And if you're going to have a funeral, there might, might be a casket there. And if you're going to do an open casket funeral, you know, you might be able to go up and, and see their body after it's been taken care of for the last time. But you're not involved in that in that kind of stuff. And I think that this is one of those things that these ladies wanted to do as the very last act of love that they could give to Jesus. And it's, it would be something that they were they were used to. These are grown women and people didn't live as long back then many of them have probably buried their parents before this point and so they know what the process is they know what's going on and so these ladies are preparing for that in fact they prepared for it on Friday so the day before the Sabbath it talks about the fact it looks like in the passages they went out and they bought the spices in preparation for the fact that they were going to go back after the Sabbath and finish what Joseph of Arimathea and what Nicodemus had started and they had put spices on Jesus, but the women want to do it right. Right? You know, I mean, you got to think of it that way. These guys are, you know, they step up at the very, at the very end and, and they own the fact that they're disciples of Jesus and they do, a, they do a, a great act of service to the Lord in getting him a tomb and then um, setting him in that tomb. But these ladies are disciples that have followed him all the way from Galilee, from the very beginnings of his ministry. Mary had been, had been plagued by seven demons and Jesus cast the demons out. She owes him, that's, that's, that's how she lives. She owes him. And so she's going to do the last act that she can do that shows how much she loves him. They've had a miserable weekend how many of you have lost uh, family members or, or good friends? Yeah, you know how that is? It's like the, the day that you lose them, it's like, it, it's, it's news. And, and sometimes you get it from afar in the sense that it's a phone call or whatever. Sometimes it's up close and personal. But that night, every time that I've lost somebody that's close to me, that night I go to sleep. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm like this, I'm, I'm just wishing that it was a dream that it wasn't real. And you can imagine that that's what all the disciples are going through, including the women here. They're wishing that it was a dream. It was a horrific, horrific death. And they're wishing it's a a dream, that it wasn't real. But then they wake up that next day, at the very least on that Sabbath day, they go through a miserable Sabbath day. It's a day when they're supposed to be worshiping the Lord and going to synagogue and and all of that, it's a miserable Sabbath day. There's nothing really to worship the Lord about. It would be one of those things where you're just going and you know they're singing praises and you're maybe mouthing the words and trying to believe what you're saying. You see what I mean? It's that kind of thing. And they're grieving over this process. And then the next day comes, Sunday comes, and they're gonna go take care of Jesus. Turn over to Luke chapter 23, really quick. Luke chapter 23. I just want to give you a little bit of a precursor. In verse 50, it says, now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew near and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed him after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. And so these ladies knew right where Jesus was. You know, last Sunday, how many of you were here on Sunday? Raise your hands. Okay, some of you weren't. I was talking about the resurrection on Sunday. And one of the answers to the fact that Jesus raised from the dead to try to say that he didn't actually raise from the dead is that when the disciples went to the tomb and found it empty, it's because they went to the wrong tomb. Well, that can't be the case because at least two of the gospels talk about the fact that the women went to the tomb first. When they saw Jesus come down off the cross, when they, when Joseph and Nicodemus took Jesus down off the cross, they followed those guys to the tomb and they sat across from it, the Bible says, and watched them do what they were doing with the tomb, watched them roll the stone in front of the tomb. They knew exactly where Jesus's tomb was. And so that doesn't even gel with, with the actual passage here. But in any case... They're, they're preparing for the completing of the burial of Jesus. And when they get to the tomb, what ends up happening, the first thing that takes place is Mary sees that the stone has been rolled away and she jumps to the presumption that somebody's come and stolen the body of Jesus. And so it's like, you know, first first they persecute him. They take him through trials that aren't even legal according to our law. And then they beat him and they make him suffer in, in ignominious, just humiliating ways. And then they strip him naked, take him and nail him to a cross. And after he's buried, they can't even leave his body alone. That's her mindset. Now they've stolen his body. And so she goes and runs to Peter and tells Peter that the stone's been rolled away and that they've taken his body. She doesn't even know this because she didn't look inside. If she's just assuming they've taken his body and we don't know where they've laid him. And so she runs off and gets Peter. And obviously we're gonna talk about this more next time, but um, Jesus appears to her and that complete and utter sorrow gets turned to absolute joy. At the end of this text, when, when we're reading through here, uh, when Jesus says to her, Mary, that's when she recognizes him right at that point. And she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then she does a leg lock on the guy. That's what those verses mean. When it says, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father. And what is Jesus is saying there is, I haven't left yet, Mary, I'm still here. You don't have to do a leg lock on me because Mary's got him now and she's not letting him go at this point. And you can imagine how overwhelmed with joy she was at seeing Jesus and seeing him alive. And so you have that sorrow turned to joy. One of the cool things about this passage, actually each one of the resurrection passages, is that it's an extra chapter. So every single one of us, if the Lord doesn't take us home first, you know, take us uh, home in the rapture first, every single one of us is going to go through death. And so something's going to happen to us. We're going to die of COVID or we're going to die of, you know, whatever the next thing is that comes up or you're going to die of the flu because you're so old, you can't hack anything anymore. That's what I'm feeling like. You know, it's like every year the sicknesses start getting me even more and more and that kind of stuff. You get weak and wimpy and, and all, you know, wrinkly and all of that kind of stuff, right? You can see, I'm, I'm kind of complaining here. One of the things that, that has happened to, I've known Mitch for over 30 years, and you know what we talk about a whole lot now? Aches and pains and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like all those old guys we're talking about when we first met. You know, we go to church and listen to these old guys sit there griping about their knees or whatever is going on. In any case, we're all gonna go through that. We're gonna, we're gonna go through death. And obviously it, that's not the end of us. But as far as on this planet, that's the end. You go to death, they have a memorial service for you or they have a funeral service there might be a graveside. They, say, they sing some songs. They speak some scripture. Maybe somebody gets saved. And that's the end of you. They, t- they, the, they take the coffin. They cover it up with dirt. And then they put up a tombstone. And there you sit. There, that's where your body lays. And that's the end. And it's not the end of Jesus. They put him in the tomb. And he doesn't stay in the tomb. I like that. You're going to stick me in a tomb? I'm not staying there. <laughs> Neither are you, actually. Because at the, at the time when Jesus comes back for us, that's when your tomb is going to be empty. And the Lord's going to raise you from the dead. In any case, he has an extra chapter to his life, and it's an important one. We did this on, on Sunday, but I want to I wanna do it here today because this kind of isn't complete unless we go through and look at what Paul had to say about the resurrection. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. One of the things I, w- I was teaching on Sunday is that there are a number of sermons in the book of Acts. And so you have the first one in Acts chapter two, you have, uh, uh, you have a couple of them by Peter where he's witnessing to people. You have one by Stephen uh, before he's put to death. You have a number of them by Paul the Apostle where he talks uh, about a relationship with the Lord. And every single one of those the sermon is centered around the resurrection. It's something that's radically important when you're when you're talking about Christianity. The fact that Jesus didn't stay dead is the touchstone. It's the it's the cornerstone. It's the foundation of Christianity. And Paul makes that point in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go through and read it. It says moreover brethren I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he goes on and says, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12, and that he was seen by, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain into the present, but some have fallen asleep. One of the cool things about this passage is you have the gospel defined, specifically in verses three and four. This is the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is what this, is what this means. You can go to the Old Testament and you can find, because that's the only scriptures that they had at the point that Paul was writing this. You can go to the Old Testament And you can find passages that talk about the fact that when Messiah comes, he's specifically going to die for the sins of his people. You know a passage that says that? Anybody know? Just a real famous one, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is one of the clearest passages that you have where it talks about Messiah coming and dying for his people. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every Every one of us has gone his own way and God laid on him the iniquity of us all it's one of those passages that speaks about the death of Jesus, the death of the Messiah, and the fact that he was going to die for sin. And so this is stuff that's prophesied. It says, "In that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so you're going, in, in the Old Testament, you have passages that talk about the death of Jesus, why he died, where he was going to be buried, and the fact that he was going to rise again. It's all prophesied in the Old Testament. Remember the the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? They're all bummed out because Jesus has died. And so the women come back and tell them that he's risen from the dead, but they're not believing it. They're not going for it. And so they're in this miserable funk that they've had all weekend long. And they're just going to go off and go get on with their lives or something. They're separating from the rest of the disciples and taken off. And lo and behold, Jesus meets them on the road. He comes up walking, comes up walking uh, to them, and he says, "What's this that you're talking about?" As you're walking along, and you're sad. And they said, "Haven't you heard?" And so they go through and start talking about the the fact that Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, we thought he was going to be the one who delivers us, had died. And you know, since he died, there were women, it's, it's been the third day, and there are women who saying that he's risen from the dead. And that's kind of where they leave that whole thing. And Jesus says to them, how slow are you to believe all the things that the prophets have said in the scripture? And then it says that he went through the Old Testament and he gave them a Bible study talking about every place where it speaks of the fact that these are the things that had to happen, that Jesus had to die, that he had to die for sin, and that he was going to be buried. And on the third day, he was gonna rise again. What a great Bible study, be better than this one. Don't you wish Jesus was up here talking about the resurrection? You know, someday you're gonna get that. Someday you're gonna stand before him and you can say, Jesus, just, Tell us about the resurrection. Tell us about everything that was going on with these guys. Tell tell us about what was in their heart.
0: You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kenwick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 730, 915, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.